Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about shifters. And this is, um, for November, we opened up the challenge a little bit because of um, political climate and it just becoming really kind of difficult for many people to write in a police procedural um, due to politics and situations and just the stress of our current situation, you know, get open it up a little bit. People have some little fantasy if they want to dig into that. And we opened it up to include shifters. Well, the main thrust of the challenge is that you have to layer a trope on top of your theme. So you have a choice between two themes. You can do a Sentinel and Guide AU or you can do a shifter AU and then you have to layer a trope on top of it. And so we'll talk about uh, shifter AUs and um, the various ways you can create them um, in fandom. And how to, how to put that AU on your fandom of choice. Um, there is another podcast that's sort of a reference point. Um, and it was one of the, uh, what we're calling it, Little Black Dress Podcasts. Um, we'll link, we'll put a link somewhere. Um, that has like some more background on like how you, how to avoid, you know, the pitfalls of too much over, too much world building or rewriting world history. And we can summarize some of that, but particularly um, they you did kind of a deep dive in that podcast on um, how to do your world building in a way that doesn't tank your story and turn it into a 500k monstrosity where you rewrite the history of the entire world which you know is impossible to do yeah at some point you have to trust when the reader comes to your story that they're suspending their disbelief about the fact that world history basically progressed more or less the same despite glaring changes like you know werewolves or vampires or whatever so um so i guess i think our our frame for this for tonight's is specifically about november and and what that looks like there's a lot of ways to approach a shifter au but for november because you're doing a shifter au um because of the challenge, it's it sets a little bit of a different frame on it than just writing a, a shifter AU. So, for instance, um, it's not a shifter AU really to just take a, a, a fandom where there's already shifters and change nothing. But someone's already brought up in the ask the question section. Shadow asks, obviously, if you write Team Wolf, it isn't a shifter AU, but would it count as a shifter AU if werewolves were known? Um, no, I don't think it would. I think that in order to use a fandom like Teen Wolf, where werewolves already exist in mass, in order to create a shifter universe, you need to open it up. Um, it needs to be a really broad, encompassing theme. Um, multiple kinds of shifters. I know on the show there's like a coyote. There's coyotes and were jaguars, and they already have multiple kinds of shifters on the show. So, um, actually, to me, what would make sense actually is that those all those shifter types are known and they're integrated into society would be how you would make that an AU. But I don't know how you would open it because I I actually think you get in really dangerous to bring in too many types of shifters because you you do a lot of world building that you don't have time to delve into. I do think that it would be disingenuous to call it a shifter AU if you just decide that werewolves are known and you don't introduce any other um, shifter lore into the project. 
if you just decide the Teen Wolf universe, everybody knows that werewolves exist, and you use the same werewolves that are already there, what work are you doing? How are you being, where's your creativity coming from? Well, I mean, conceivably, in that case, you would have to define your shifter lore because it's really poorly defined in Teen Wolf. So, how is it known? What is their role in society? How is it, you know, how long have werewolves been? You know, and it could it, it would have to be more than werewolves if you're using Teen Wolf because more than werewolves exist in Teen Wolf. So, um, so shifters are known AU, but because there's so little done in canon to explain any of that, I would think that would be the work would be. But maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Are you saying that team, that um, supernaturally use that have werewolves, supernatural phantoms that have werewolves already or shifters already don't work? I just think you need to do a little bit more work. Now, part of, I'm not going to police this challenge. So if you write in Teen Wolf and change nothing but the fact that they're that they're known, that's your call. But personally, if I went into a fandom like Teen Wolf or Supernatural where there are already shifters or god forbid fucking harry potter where there's the animagus system i would not consider going into a harry potter story where two or three different characters have an animagus swarm a shifter au no because animagus isn't really a shifter though i think in order for you to use that particular theme in a shifter au the animagus would have to be a natural process not a spell and all magical people would have to have the ability no spell, no training, just they have it is one of their natural talents that they can turn into an animal. And of course you have to strip down the whole werewolf thing in Harry Potter as well. But just having a couple of characters be able to do it with a spell, that is literally no diff different than Harry Potter. <laughs> because that's already a canon circumstance. But like I said, I'm not going to police this challenge. I don't expect anybody else to police this challenge. I wouldn't let readers police the challenge. Um, we've never allowed that. So it's up to you to determine if you're meeting the theme. But for me, just writing in Teen Wolf without adding anything to it, without expanding the lore, without um, really deeply exploring um, what it would be like to be in a world of shifters, uh, multiple kinds of shifters. It just seems disingenuous to me because it's already, I don't know. You know what I mean? But again, it's, that'll be your call. Jillian. Yeah. Sorry. My brain just offline for a little bit. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't know enough about, Team Wolf, Supernatural, Buffy to even make those kinds of determinations. Or, but, but if you're going to do it, go all in. Let your freak flag fly. <laughs> yeah, but actually, because if I think you'd actually, and this is why I'm a little bit was a little bit flummoxed, is it, it and why my brain kind of derailed was that um, I think actually doing a werewolves are known universe in Teen Wolf actually requires fair bit fair bit of world building to do because. Well, it is you, you, do, have, you have the whole you right. have the whole big secret thing. You have, um, you know, you have very little lore that's built in Teen Wolf. You know, you just kind of bits and pieces here and there. And a lot of them are contradictory. So I actually think coming together in any kind of fantasy fandom that already has werewolves as a secret, whether that be Buffy or Supernatural, whatever, to make that supernatural element be out in the open, it's not just a simple on-off switch. So to me, that would have seemed like it would, you know, 
work on the AU side of it, but it sounds like you disagree. So I'm kind of, that's why my brain is just kind of. Well, the thing is, is that that's not been my experience with fandom. I mean, there is a way to do it that would be expansive and interesting and fun. And I can see you doing that very well. But I also see some people just skipping the whole thing. Not even explaining their author hand wave of destiny. Just saying that werewolves are known in their author's notes. And then writing a fucking Teen Wolf story without a single damn addition of a single piece of lore. I'm just saying. And if that's the case, are they really meeting the burden of the theme? Um, no, probably not. <laughs> I mean, you go into it like with the best of intentions, assuming that everybody would put as much work as you would into a concept. But in practice, we, we know that's not to be true. Yeah, that was definitely her disappointed sigh. <laughs> what was? Dark says she's not mad, she's just disappointed. <laughs> Well, no, one of the three stories I plotted uh, for November, which I haven't decided yet, is a teen wolf. Werewolves are known. Shifters are known AU. So when you said that wouldn't count, I was like, she just tanked my top pick for no, November. No, I mean, I don't. Ha I have full faith in the fact that you could bring that to the table and it would absolutely 100% fit the challenge. But I also have seen in practice people do that in fandom where they say okay well werewolves are known and then never do a single damn thing different it's like when you see somebody on fanfiction.net rewriting harry potter and the philosopher's stone <laughs> i mean i wouldn't even set i wouldn't even set my story in beacon hell so you know but whatever but some, but yeah i mean that's the thing is that there are people who could do it really well and again, it's just something that you have to decide for yourself as a writer. Um, and then there are those who would say that they've done all the work and then do literally nothing different than they would if they were writing a regular story in Teen Wolf or in Harry Potter. I mean, there are people in fandom who would write Harry Potter as an animagus and call it a shifter fic. Mm. <laughs> And that's the point that I'm making. I am not in any single way saying that nobody can write Team Wolf for November. You write the hell out of Team Wolf if you want to. I have every faith that you would do it correctly. But there are people who would not. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, but it's not so much, I think, you know, the, the, I think what it comes down to is the change everything that affects nothing. Um, <laughs> and Which is a pandemic. Excuse my, right. excuse my term of that. Excuse, excuse, excuse her, my word. Excuse her terrible 2020 term. Um, <laughs> but, but it is. It yeah, is. It, it's like, I, and there is an there is an epidemic of fic where you change everything and nothing is affected. So, you know, we've all seen this. Was Harry Potter particularly bad for this? Where, you know, you change all the stuff with Harry's backstory and then canon proceeds apace. Or you make it werewolves are known and yet somehow all the events that happened in Teen Wolf's canon happen exactly the same way, despite exactly. the fact that she was known. Or, exactly. you know, or, um, you know, when I read Sentinels, Sentinels are known AUs, and somehow Jim and Blair met the same way. And, excuse me, what? That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> so. It doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, you get a Teen Wolf AU where it's, it's in the author note that werewolves are known, and it opens up with Styles lying to his dad about something that's happened to him so that his dad won't get involved in werewolf affairs. Right. I mean, it's just like, come on now. Are you fucking serious? 
But I mean, that kind of thing, change everything, affect nothing, is is kind of disingenuous in every challenge. It, it's just, you know, don't do it. If you're going to do, if you're going to come up with all these changes, you have to figure out how that affects things. And it's just canon events happening in a slightly different way, if they're a slightly different way at all, is is a problem. But, and, you know, the thing is, like I said before, I, I don't police rough trade. If I did, I'd probably kick people off. Re, re, most of y'all would be banned because of the uh, single POV single challenge. P, single POV challenge. I love all y'all bitches. I love you all, but come all y'all. Most people, most people didn't get it. I mean, we we'd be reading thick, and I go, "I've counted four POVs so far." <laughs> I'm pretty Lady sure Lady Holder was a total muffin during that challenge. I'm pretty sure there was a a, a story that where a plant had a POV. I just I was, <laughs> <laughs> you were that- you were a perfect muffin. You, you did exactly what you're supposed to do, but that was your jam. You really dig that single POV. Of course, so does Jillian. Meanwhile, I was trapped. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Well, you, but the thing is, I think the hard part is when you've got three main characters. You had three main characters, yeah. And you get it. I wouldn't have plotted three main characters for a single POV challenge. I just mistakes were made. The only relieving part of that whole challenge was my body count, my fictional body count. I wrote. I wrote Southern. I wrote Southern Black for that challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I, I I don't know why I write my time travel epics for non time travel challenges, but whatever. Right. Um. I think my only saving grace for that one was the fist bumps. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, maybe I mean. The thing is, I don't know enough about Teen Wolf, really. I mean, I, I've, I've read Jilly's stuff. I've read some things in fandom that she pointed me to specifically. But for the most part, I avoid it because, you know, you never know what you're going to get. It's not as bad as, say, Hannibal. But there are moments where you're like, whoa, 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 what'd you just do? And, it, it, and Teen Wolf and Supernatural both are iffy on that front. Yeah. I mean, there's some but that gorgeous- being said, is if the only indication... <laughs> That werewolves are known happens in your author note. Yeah, you've you haven't you haven't caught on to what the Hello? AU is part of it. Yeah, you haven't caught the AU th- you there. I think I, I don't know what happened. I started hearing it's hello. Seeing it's hello, hello. Um yeah, you can't have the only indication of what you're doing be an author note. Um <laughs> I mean, but I have I have Right now, well, I've plotted more than three, but there's three. I have three, three contenders. One of them is Mandalorian, and that one is actually a Sentinel story. And then I plotted two shifter stories, um, one Teen Wolf and one 911. Um, the 911 I'm the most on the fence about as a possible idea because it's a contemporary fandom. And I find those to be sometimes like the hardest for me to get in the groove of making a mm-hmm. shifter. And the other is that I've never written in it before. And I usually don't dive into a new fandom for Nano. Yeah, I would be concerned. Yeah. So, I mean, if I was doing it in private, yeah. But it's really it's, hard to fall on your face in public during Nano. Right. <laughs> yeah, Shadow, I, I am terribly bitter about the lack of sex. It is a very G-rated fandom. It's all very, you know, you know, angst and pining and get together, kiss end it's like you can swing a big dick in there you go on <laughs> what the hell what the hell and then the, i do i did find one story with sex and it was like 70k if nothing but sex it was like well 
Um, this is a 70k PWP. Really? Okay. Well, or maybe it was 80k. I don't remember. It was long. I skipped a lot of it because I got really burned out on sex. But you know, what can I say? But that was like 50 stories in. I find one that had some graphic sex. I was like, okay. But, the, but then they went too far. It's like it's like Shijian in a teacup. It's just it's no moderation. Um, there is a lot of canon sex in 911 Lone Star. Good grief. Um, well, I've never even heard of this show, to be perfectly honest. It, it's 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 got a hot cast, I'll say that. But yeah, I, I was I was sort of like just blinking and astonished. You know, it's like the, it's like the second or third episode, I think second, where these two guys just all of a sudden they just crash through the front door of this house and they're making out and get sex on the couch. And I was just like, this is a Fox show, really? Where I, I feel like I'm in like some sort of alternate universe. Um. It was, it, it was, I, I actually agree that the 911 Lone Star's first season was better than 911's first season, for sure. So there's two different shows. Yeah, after the, they did two seasons of 911, then they spun off a, 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 a Texas version of it. So 911 is based in LA, and then they have an Austin version, a fire, fire, you know, first responders in, in, um, in Austin. So, and that stars Rob Lowe. He's the, the main character. Um, 911's main characters are played by Peter Krause and who was on Six Feet Under, Six Feet, Six Feet mm-hmm. Under, and um, Angela Bassett. Which, no hardship to watch her. Oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. So, um, not sh- now. They, there's very little. There's not as much police department. There's some police department stuff, but not much. It's mostly rescue. It's it's mostly a rescue procedural. But yeah, Angela Bassett does play a, a cop in that in that show in nine one one. So um, I actually found I was surprised how much I liked the show enough to consider. I liked it enough to consider. I've actually plotted several short stories for it, um, and I'm and I did plot you know a, a, a shifter AU for that for the nine one one or the Lone Star version for nine one one for nine one one because. Um, I don't know. Well, I've only been one season, meaning ten. Actually, their first seasons are ten episodes, so they they had a half season, you know, for their first run. And um, the one, the one, ob, you know, obvious ship to me is a canon pairing, and I'm sort of like so far satisfied with canon, so I'm not really inspired yeah. to write it. You know what I mean? And that sometimes happens when you like the ship, as you're not really inclined to do anything with it yourself. Um, but you know, if it helps, I don't know. This might. This is an offer. It's not necessarily. We have to have to go this route. But like, we could talk through the Teen Wolf one and what I did for the world building on that, and how I think that it works for the challenge. And you can even tell me what you think doesn't work. I mean, I don't. I don't know enough about Teen Wolf. That's the thing that that you know. It, it would be like. But then you know, there's also that asshole on Ao3. I'm not speaking specifically. I've never actually looked. I, I probably shouldn't say it because it's probably on there and I'll get an email. Fuck it, I'm going to say it. There's an asshole on, AO, on AO3 who probably labeled a supernatural fic, a shifter fic because of the angel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think you know more Team Wolf than you think you do. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be more like wing fic? Now, is a wing fic a shifter fic? I mean... By that measure, a vampire fic is a shifter fic because they do fa- shift form, right? You know, they, they, you know, when they want to feed, they get their little fangs, and sometimes they have a face, depending upon the, you know, the, 
the the mythology. Sometimes they have a facial shift. So by that measure, it's a, you know vampires are shifters too. And I don't typically think of vampires as shifterific personally. But if you're going to count angels as shifter, then I think you have to count anything that changes form, right? Well, I would not personally count an angel as a shifter, but I would count somebody who could shift their who could sprout wings, who was not an angel, probably a shifter, maybe mutant. I mean, I think it depends. I mean, to me, shifter is specifically about um, animals, right? So if they've got a, if, let's say if, if there are some sort of avian shifter and they have a partial shift where they can just manifest the wings, I would say that was a shifter. But um, I think a lot of times when you get into wing thick, it starts to feel more like fae than mm. either fae or angels than shifter to me. But, you know, I mean, like I said, if somebody really wants to, now the Grim is an interesting, it's an interesting question because the whole Veston lore in Grimm, and because they they could manifest their shift, I don't know. I think that one kind of walks a funny line. I, I would. I don't know how to class. I mean, I guess I could. I could see. I could see an argument for either, either way, either yes or no, because they really didn't have much more than a. Well, some of them had much more than just a little bit of a facial shift. I mean, some of them had a full-on, you know, practically turning into a hedgehog kind of shift. Um, a hedgehog? I, there was a, I'm, I kid you not. Um, although I guess he was more porcupine than hedgehog. But whatever. Um, then there were the ones that kind of turned into dragons. Yeah. And then there I were some guests who couldn't present as human at all. True. I don't honestly think that Grimm on its own as it currently stands would mean would literally translate to shifter. I think you would have to do some work. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. I I really, for, for me, one of my favorite aspects of shifter stories is the full shift. So, you know, that would be an important part of for me in the world building is a full shift. And I, you didn't as far as I can recall from Grimm, and I didn't see like the last two seasons, um, I started noping out honestly in Grimm. I, I really liked it at first. I started noping out over the consent issues in the story in this in the storyline. Um, I noped out um, when no one even brought up the fact that what Adelaide did to Nick was rape. Of right? course, it wasn't. He was. She wasn't. He wasn't even the first character she did that to. She also did it to Hank, and I was like. She did it to Hank, she did it to Nick, and then he winds up with her in the end. Yeah. I mean, mm. so um, the consent issues in the, in the canon were, became, I, I mean, and if they didn't have those consent issues in the canon, I could have gotten into writing in that, in that fandom, but just, it just really. I mean, for me, if I, if, if, if I wrote in Grimm, it would be first season and he would leave her and hook up with the captain. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, Jeep Adeline was uh was the end game for Nick. They had a kid together. All right, baby, no less. That's rude, I'm sorry. And, and uh, Juliet Juliet became a hexen beast at the end. I mean, it's just it was just that they just wanted that their trajectory on the character arcs. All the characters basically at one point or another were awful. And um 
and then it was just like it was okay. But yeah, I totally agree. Nick Nick needs to climb the captain like a tree. I, I I support this. But you could I think you could Grim, you know, Grim is a a phantom that you could do a it could be an interesting to do the work to make Grim a shifter a shifter universe where instead of the Vesson being this kind of partial thing, this not quite shifter thing, is actually make them shifters and how that, you know, what the how that would change things and what that looks like and and what is the role of the Grim there because it would have to be somewhat different than it's presented in canon. Is is Nick like supernatural police? You know, I mean, what is that? So, um, I did read a fic once in Teen Wolf that I would definitely say was a shifter AU. Styles was a rare rabbit, and he bought himself a little house, and he was really proud of it. And he went into his backyard to um to um to make his his rabbit den for you know when he was a when he was a rabbit and he's digging it and he accidentally digs too far and he ends up digging into Derek's yard and gets a face full of werewolf. I mean, we're talking like snout to snout. I don't think that was a shifters or known universe, but no, there but was, it was, there was definitely no, a shifter AU, but there was no canon circumstances either. So um, it was very cute. It's a very cute story. But I would definitely say it was a shifter AU, but I don't think it was shifters werewolves were known. I mean, he knew what Derek was. Um, so as far as that went, I think the, sh- the shifters community was kind of, you know, expansive, but you didn't really get a whole look on it. Um, it's something there is by Scoozy Pants, you know, and honestly, it's pretty hard to go wrong with Scoozy Pants <laughs> as a rule. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's great. Um, but yeah, I would say that's definitely a shifter AU. Um, it is definitely an alternate universe across the board, but very entertaining. And you know, and, dick, and which I think yeah. is probably canon. Yeah, shifter AU does not have to mean werewolves or shifters are known, but in a canon where sh- werewolves or where shifters already exist, it is one way to begin to differentiate between your universe and canon. But the other big way to differentiate between your universe and canon is just not have canon events happening. Definitely. Because you don't need that kind of negativity in your life just retelling canon. Um, I mean, you can go down that road if that, I mean, sometimes that is like the training wheels, you know, for people is to retell canon with a little bit of a twist or to just have the characters interacting differently between scenes or something. But, you know, get those training wheels off quick because your craft isn't growing <laughs> while you're just, you know, changing Retailing. everything, affecting nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really important to create ripples and follow those ripples through. Right. And so, and that's the point of Rev Trade is to work, to to expand yourself, to open up your ideas and explore things. Um, <clears throat> and so, coming into it saying that, okay, well, I'll just write a Team Wolf story and it will fit the Shifter AU because they're already Shifters. I mean, you could, but you're not really doing the challenge. Right. I'm not going to run around and tell you you're doing it wrong. And I probably won't even read it, so I won't be judging you. But Because <laughs> I don't really... I mean, as a rule, I don't actually read a lot in Team Wolf. It isn't one of my fandoms. Um, I'll read what gets passed to me from the, you know, the, the bitches. And I read Jillies. Um, but like I said, I don't read a lot of Team Wolf. 
the cannon's really fucked up. Yeah. I only watched like half the first. I I watched half the pilot and turned it off because I was really disappointed that Scott survived being bitten. Mm-hmm. I was already hating that dude from like, I was like, oh, I can't even stand this. Oh my God. So, um, of course, I asked what the definition of a shifter is, like animalistic features or a whole shift. Um, it can be either. I mean, we, you know, when you look at werewolf lore, shifter lore in media, um, you see both. You see people who have a partial shift. I think, um, so, well, some some canons have um, sort of an, a very an animalistic shift, but not into a recognizable animal, like the Harry Potter werewolf. Or but, underworld, yeah that that is not human at all. What's what they shift into, but it's not a wolf either. Whereas um, the werewolves and Team Wolf that could do a full shift actually did actually shift into wolves. So, you know, which which type of werewolf lore you want to go with? That's up, or you know shifter lore you want to go with. That's up to you. Um, I would just say don't be original for the sake of it don't um don't do something that doesn't make sense because you want to be different um and, and the reason i say that is because like um i gotta i gotta check my mother my mother loves shifter shifter stories right she, she used to read like everything she could get her hands on that was shifter and one day i got a text from her and she says spider shifter really and i was like i don't want to talk about this <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. And she was just so of all the people in her life, she messaged you with that. Yeah. And she was just so huffy about the fact that there was a spider shifter. And I was like, Mom, just deal. And then I get, you know, something like, and I don't remember, I don't actually remember the pairings. I'm going with size. I remember one was a hedgehog. Okay. She's like, hedgehog shifter. I'm like, somebody wanted a cute shifter, mom, just let it go. And then I get another text and she goes, with a bear. It's just like, well, they're not having sex in their shifted form, obviously. Just move on. Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> but, you <laughs> but you know, she's she's just so some of the shifter choices these these authors were making, and I have to think in some cases it was just to stand out from the pack because shifter romances were a really big thing for a while. It was like the mm -hmm. thing to write, and um, I think people were looking for ways to differentiate themselves. Maybe they got bored of their own writing. I don't know, but when people are kind of noping out on their suspension of disbelief, I think that's where you kind of like get into trouble with originality for its own sake. Um, is I wouldn't do insect shifters personally, but you know, if that's something that really appeals to you, go for <coughs> it. Someone said, what about sentient animals that shift into humans? Um, that's creepy. <laughs> Well, you've blurred the line. Then I don't think they're animals. Um, I don't think you can call them that. So I mean, if a, if a, if an animal is sentient and can sh can shape shift into a human, um, do they also have sapience? And if they do, are they really just a creature that can take two forms? Yeah, because if it's just if it's just sentience and they just and like shifting it, they wouldn't have any. Um, they wouldn't have any uh, ability to interact as a, it, it would be bestia. If they truly are just sentient, not sapient, it would be bestiality. Yes. Even if they're on their human form. 
in my opinion, because they're fundamentally an animal. They're fundamentally an animal. It doesn't matter. It, you're basically saying they have a camouflage form that allows them to blend in and protect themselves. And to appear human without actually being human. Right. So if they are not, unless you're talking about that their primary form is something animal-like, but they are like basically some sort of other sapient species, that which is completely different. And this is where the nuance matters. Well, not necessarily. I mean, a Wookiee is sentient and sapient, and they're not human. And honestly, I actually find it super offensive when people tag um, fics that have some, you know, Wookiee sex as being bestiality because they're not animals. Yeah. Well, in Star Wars, droids are sapient and sentient and not human. So if it's if they're just sentient, I think that you're still in the animal Um if they're sentient and sapient, meaning capable of reasoning and logic and that kind of thing, then is it, I don't know that you can say it's an animal. It's just some other species. So in which case, I would think that, yes, that could count as a shifter. Um, so Chris asked about, she's the thing about changing the witchers to shapeshifters. Would that count? I would think so. I mean, there's no, I think when you put any kind of shapeshifter into a fan that doesn't really have shapeshifters, um, you're going to have work to do to make that work. So I think that that, to me, that seems like it meets the burden of the challenge. I mean, I would say so too. I don't know a damn thing about the Witcher, except for the fact that Henry Cavill plays the guy on Netflix. That is the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> now, apparently he likes to take baths. I saw a gif once. <laughs> He's in the bath a lot. Yes. <laughs> He's pretty hot. I mean, that, that's the extent of my Witcher knowledge. Although there is this dude I watch on YouTube play video games, and he and he played the uh, the Witcher series, and I'm considered watching him play it. <laughs> I don't actually want to play it myself, but I'm considering watching him do it. Anyways, that's a thing. Um, really? Hmm. I did not know that. Um, so... Let's talk about shifter AUs and different types of fandoms and what that would look like. If you've, yeah. we've kind of already talked a little bit about if you're already working in a fandom that already has shifters and you are going to, the point of this challenge is to stretch yourself in the, on the AU front, you're going to have to change the world building to some degree. You're going to have to do something different with those shifters. So that's one kind of thing. The other kind of shifter AU um, would be to take a fandom where there are no shifters and put shifters into it. Now, what does that look like? That could be as little as, um, like, like uh, Kira was talking about with the Wear Bunny story. Although that's Teen Wolf, so you know. But if you did something like that Wear Bunny thing, but in, um, I don't know, Criminal Minds or something. Um, you the work there you may you may have it be a secret or you may have it known i don't think it matters in that case but the issue then becomes if your character has let's say grown up a wear bunny we'll just use wear bunny because it's cute if your character Very. has grown up a wear wear bunny how has this changed their trajectory um what does that look like you know how and, and if it changes nothing then i think that you don't meet the burden of the challenge here, here's another question about Styles being the wear bunny. Um, which one of his parents was the bunny? Now, in that particular story, it was Claudia. But what if it was his father? 
Would Noah Stalinsky still be a cop if he was a werebunny? Maybe. Maybe. But maybe he'd be a maybe he'd be a really awesome park ranger. Just saying. So you have to ask yourself questions like if my character is are they born this way or do they become this way? So the one that I um the story I plotted for 911, it is a it is a shifters are known universe, but there are humans as well, right? And so one of the mm -hmm. characters gets attacked um and becomes a, a werewolf that way as opposed to he was born that way. So a lot of the story is about him incorporating into a werewolf pack when he's been, you know, a human his entire life. And even though he's worked with werewolves, he doesn't really have a lot of insight into what that's like and his changes. So, so that was the, the kind of the direction I was plotting for that story, which is it's a shifters are known. Um, but because it's kind of a shifters are known overlay on top of a con basically contemporary fandom, um, I felt like that I could kind of keep the characters on their general trajectory because, you know, it's reasonable to assume that um, in the case of the guy picked to be the alpha werewolf, it's conceivable that he would have still served in the military. It's conceivable that he would have still been married and had a kid. It's conceivable that he still would have chosen when he got out of the military to become a firefighter. There's nothing about him being a werewolf that's contradictory to his canon circumstances if you're going to overlay a werewolf kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the direction I went with how to approach it from a contemporary fandom, but you could have it be a secret. And that's really two different things. Is it air shifters are known or is, um, um, is it the shifters are known kind of thing or is it your shifter, your shifter circumstances are a secret. And that's really a very different set of circumstances in terms of how you plot it and how you present it. Thank you. Okay. Baby so nine one one and nine one one Lone Star are both on Hulu. I just put them on my list to watch. <laughs> At least partially. I know season three of 911 is on, but I don't know if season one and two are there anymore. Let's see. Okay. Um, let me click on it. Um, I have actually season one. Yeah. They brought season one back. That's great. Cause they, it I was have gone. season one and season three, but I don't have season two. Yeah, season. That's I had the same issue. I I saw season one. Season one was gone last week, so they brought it back, which means Hulu renewed its its licensing for season one. But season two has just been. But I I, I, I liked season one enough that I bought season two on Amazon, and it wasn't that expensive. Oddly enough, oh, nine one one Lone Star was already on my watch list, which is probably because of Rob Lowe. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um. I would start with Lone Star. Actually, you don't need to know anything about Nine One One to watch the to watch the spinoff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I would watch Lone Star first. Actually, I think Nine One One has more 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 potential for me for fan fiction because of the potential ship in it. Um, but it's not really. Um, I think I, I I enjoyed the first season of Lone Star a little bit more. So. And the funny thing about the fun, funny thing about nine one is the one of the main characters, like the first episode, first couple episodes, you hate him. I mean, I, I almost noped out of the show over it. Um, it's they have him on a really interesting character arc. It's actually some really some of the best character development I've seen, where they take this character from being kind of a dick into being a real boy. Um, it, it was it was pretty well done, but you have to get past the hating his guts phase, which starts in the first episode. Well, 
Yeah, that's 911. Um, not 9 Lone Star. There wasn't really anybody I disliked in 911 Lone Star. Um, the other thing is just a heads up if you have not seen 911, it's starting in season two. And it's a pretty big thread through um, season two, as there's a pretty heavy domestic violence plotline. Mm. So, of the, um, you know, hiding from her husband kind of thing, and he hunts her down and kidnaps her kind of variety. So, I won't give you any more spoilers than that, but if that's a potentially triggering topic, you need to kind of go into the second season of 911 prepared for that. Mm. That's a reality of women, a lot of women that isn't often explored on television. I I really appreciated the way they handled it. I um, I thought it with the whole arc was well acted, and this was something I did not know when I watched it. And it kind of freaks me out now. Is the domestic violence victim is the character played by Jennifer Love Hewitt? Her abusive spouse, the character, her abusive spouse is played by her real life husband. Ooh, mm. yeah. And so they have all these really intense scenes. They met on the show that she used to be on USA, right? I think so. Yeah. And they went on, they did that to, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I was just like, when I found out that, that her husband played her husband on the show and I was like, <gasps> it just freaked me out. It freaked me the fuck out, which I'm glad I had seen it before I knew that because I was like, there are some of their scenes, especially the, the, the climax of their arc. Um, I was like, how did they get through that? How did they get but, through that? It also might be said that because they are married in real life and there is some trust there that she trusted him to get physical with her in those various scenes um, and not hurt her for real. To not get carried away. You know? Yeah. That's, that's probably true. Anyway, the arc was well done. It's just very intense and it does get quite violent at times. Um, so back on sh the shifter thing. Um, Lady Holder pointed out that Joe Lawson actually wrote write quite a few shifter fix. Um, the shark ones are my favorite. Yes, the the Hawaii Five O shark ones are great, um, and that's a really good example of like this. That's an example to me of um, the one where Danny is a megalodon of this like secret shifter world that's just sort of you know bubbling under the surface. It's a really good example of a secret shifter AU as opposed to a, a shifters are known kind of thing. And, and that really is a very different approach. Um, is it, is the Megalodon one jaws or, cause I know there's two, there's one where he's like a merman or something. Yeah, I think the one where he's a merman is um, the, between the devil and the deep blue sea. Yeah. Okay. So jaw, jaws is the Megalodon. And then the, um, yeah, and then there's another one where Danny's a merman. And as as Dark points out, that um, there's a different species and these political conflicts and stuff. And it's just really, really good. That one in particular has a lot of shifter world building in it, even though both of those are, you know, secret shifter societies as opposed to shifters out in the open. At least as I recall, I haven't read them in a while. I think they were both secret. One of my favorite scenes in Jaws is when Steve and... Uh, Danny are dumped in the ocean by some bad guys and Danny um, shifts so he can bring them back and Steve's injured. They can bring them back to, to, to and Steve tries to attack him because he sees a big giant shark, right? So Danny surfaces again as a human and is trying to calm Steve down and Steve's still trying to protect Danny from the big giant shark. 
<laughs> it's adorable. Oh, yes. <laughs> so people, people in the chat room are telling me that the mer the mer one was they are known. It's a known thing. So, um, so that that gives you two really good examples of shifter overlaid onto a contemporary fandom like Hawaii Five O, where it works really well. And in one case, I guess it is um, shifters are known, and the other one is um, is not known, which is the Jaws one. Here's an example that I would say um, is that one's a shifter and one is a not. Um, I recently posted Patient Zero on um, the Wild Hair Project. It is a story where John gets um, genetically manipulated by Carson Beckett um, with Unis and Erratus DNA. And um, he basically becomes a different species and it's contagious and it infects the entire population of Atlantis and most of them don't live. And those that do live are no longer human. Um, they're also not shifters, even though they can sprout wings. Uh, well, they have wings that are folded into their skin. Um, they're not shifters. They're dragons, but they're not shifters. Whereas Jilly's emergence is definitely shifter. Yeah. And they're dragons too. <laughs> yeah, and it, I'm I'm all I'm all on board the fantasy creature shifter train. I mean, mermaids, mermen, um, werewolves, unicorns. Um, if you want to do a unicorn shifter, I will show up. <laughs> um Centaur, you know there used to be. <laughs> oh Lord, Centaur fic used to like. I actually ran from the NCIS fandom because of Centaur fic. I'm just gonna be perfectly honest. There was Centaur fic was a really big thing for a while, um, and yeah, there was Houston, there was Houston Knights one. Um, it was in there. There was uh, somebody did it in numbers. They did Centaur fic in numbers. Um. Look, I, 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 I don't understand. I, but I blame Hercules, the show. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, Centaur, but Centaur would cl would count as a shifter AU. Um, would it really? Like, if they're always so. a shifter, or do they turn into a centaur? They turn. Oh, in all the stories that I read, they turn into centaurs. They shift into centaur form. Centaur is their alternate form. So they're running around doing their day job. And on the weekends, they're going off to ranches and stuff so they can run around in the woods in their centaur form. <sighs> I mean, if you suddenly half your body turns into a horse, I think yeah, that's I mean, shifting. You may, have, I get you may have your normal head, but you do not have your normal dick. Something is shifted. <laughs> so like I said earlier... <laughs> I ran from the NCIS fandom because of the centaur fic. Not one in particular, just all of them. I'm sorry. Yes, I did have to go there because, you know, one of the things that apparently was very appealing to many authors who liked the centaur thing was human centaur sex. Okay? So, yes, the dick, it was going to get that, discussed. I do, I do blame Hercules for that because that's also when I stopped watching the Hercules show was that episode where... Um, they come across a human woman married to a centaur. Of course, now I wouldn't watch it for other reasons, but it is neither furry nor pony play. Yeah, let's go to the corner. I'm pretty sure, actually, that it's both. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did have his baby too. Yeah, in Hercules, she had his baby. Some people have really big fantasies about 
giant dick. Okay. And I, centaur porn was probably the inevitable Look, outcome of that. Y'all bitches realize that that would actually. It, it, it's impossible. Moving on. Um, yeah, it isn't physically possible. I mean, you have to have some hella retaining rings. How many donuts are we going to put on that before we get going? Um, a donut? Fuck that. Put one of those life preservers on it. Well, no, but there are actually, this This actually exists for some men who are really well endowed. Is they, It looks like a little donut, and you can have many that you need to give yourself extra space so that you don't penetrate so deeply. I'm going to tell you all a story. Once we were in college. It's like a depth charge. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined me. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Sorry. Okay, so once we were in college, I was in college, not me and Julie were in college together because that would have probably not been survivable. No. Anyways, I was in college and we were drinking a little, I'll be perfectly honest, and someone brought up the fact that she would like to have like 14 or 15 inches of dick. And I said, no, you don't. You don't actually want 14 or 15 inches of dick. You just think you do. You don't actually want that. And even if a man could get that, get a full erection at that length, you don't want it because it's going to be fucked up into your rib, into your rib cage. And she said, that's ridiculous. I said, get a fucking tape measure. We were down there. And I do mean down there. <laughs> <laughs> With a tape measure. <laughs> and the 14 inches, because she was not a big girl, was above her navel. From the entrance of her vagina up, 14 inches was above her navel. She said, you're right. I don't want 14 inches. <laughs> You're not going to get it all in there. <laughs> it's just, you know, you can't get it in there. What's it good for? Well, I mean, it, it doesn't, it, I mean, if you like complete, like you like the full penetration, it's still not all going to go in there. So you don't have a 14 inch vagina. So no, what, why, why seek out the 14 inch dick? It just, just, <laughs> <coughs> You know a lot of those bag dragon dildos are going in someone's ass. You know that. I mean, the big ones. <laughs> is there any really more room in the ass than there is the vagina? Uh, is yes. there a point in no return on both? There's a point, mean, yes, honestly, there's a point of no return on both, yes. But I've seen a lot more in someone's ass ever than in someone's vagina. Which is... Which, you know, sounds a little strange considering the babies come out of vaginas, but... I was um, thinking the same thing. I was like, dude. I have never seen anybody put a two liter in their vagina, and I have seen it in someone's ass. So, you know, I mean, I kind of crossed my legs conceptually. Do y'all ever wonder what Jilly's life was like before she met us? Because <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> I didn't say I put How it in somebody's ass. You know that can actually say literally and mean it that I have seen somebody put a two liter in their ass. 
I've been in dungeons. I have never seen somebody put a two liter in their ass. It was a fisting party, okay? There were things. <laughs> a fisting being, party. There were things being placed places. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> I was, Chris. <laughs> this is an adult podcast. This is an adult chat room. Um, Red, we didn't, we would not have stopped somebody, and we didn't stop anybody from putting the two-liter up their ass, but we would have stopped them from putting a head of cabbage up there. <laughs> I mean, there are limits. Because nothing can go up, I mean, that was the rule, you can't put anything up, you can't get back out, so that's... I mean, if you wanted to put a head of cabbage up your ass, I think that it would be a good idea to put it in a Ziploc bag first. It's, it's, it's just not a good extraction plan for a head of cabbage, which is why that person wound up in the ER and shredded. <laughs> I think it's missing the point if it's shredded. It, I don't think it would actually do the job if it was shredded. But also, I don't understand, honestly, putting things in your butt that aren't meant to go in your butt. It's just dangerous. Not a good idea. There are plenty of toys out there that you can buy to put in your butt. You do not need to get, you know, a head of cabbage or a light bulb or whatever <laughs> bizarre, <laughs> bizarre things. You just, there are plenty of things you can buy. But ginger root is actually a different sexual experience. I mean, that's figging. That's not like, that's, that's something entirely different. Yeah. Right, because it's not the size, it's the heat. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I honestly would not indulge in figging, and I also would not put a cucumber in any orifice. The thing about figging is I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't anyway, but um, personally, I'm not interested, but um, I would recommend. is actually very, very firm, so I think it would be, yeah. you know. Yeah, but I wouldn't recommend it as a solo activity you know, personally, because you don't want to get, you know, alarmed by how, how you were not prepared for that heat and, um, and, and then lose your grip. Okay. Ma oh, I had a woman come into the ER because she was masturbating with her daughter's Barbie doll and lost the shoes. Now, anybody who's ever played with a fucking Barbie doll knows that her shoes don't stay on. So why didn't she take the shoes off first? Was she going, but was she going in shoe first? Because that actually, that actually seems the wrong way to me. I mean, I've never fucked my phone with a Barbie doll. But <laughs> don't you think the head would be a better option? Smoother? I do, less I do, pokey. Think, I do think head first is... I can't say the right way to do it, but it seems the more logical way to approach Barbie insertion. But everybody knows the shoes fall off Barbie. So... <laughs> I'm just saying. I think I, I think you have common sense. I also think it's implicit in in this activity that everybody should be undressed. <laughs> so, <laughs> did she ask Barbie first? This is terrible, right? She could have at least bought her own doll, right? Definitely, <laughs> definitely get your own doll. Yeah, the Barbie head does come off really easily. I'm not sure that's a good idea either. Maybe the feet are the better option. 
Not with shoes on. <laughs> Obviously not with shoes on. Yeah, Barbie's clothes aren't cheap either, so that's another issue as well. I mean, Barbie will clean up, but you need to you need to take those clothes off first. But, I mean, there are whole websites devoted to... This is a, one of the more bizarre tangents we've ever been on, but there are whole websites devoted to bizarre things people have put in their bodies, especially up their ass. And there are even stranger sites that are... Div- devoted to the bizarre enema concoctions people have come up with including concrete you know how do they get there it's, it's like, you, know, you, you see something and you think how you know something that for instance some things just look appetizing to eat you see an apple it looks like it would be good to eat right an orange is appealing <laughs> no pun intended grapes are appealing there is absolutely nothing appealing about a dragon fruit. Or a kiwi. Or a kiwi. It looks like a testicle. It does look like an unfortunate <laughs> testicle. <laughs> or a pineapple. But, coconut. Nothing about a coconut looks remotely appealing. And yet. It, it, but that's what humans do. is They break things open and put it in their mouth. <laughs> Elias, who ate that second blowfish. <laughs> right? Someone who got really lucky. But yeah, somebody asked about, yes, there is, um, and there's actually an article right up, like I think in a medical journal or something about the guy who decided that, you know, he got up one day and decided that his thing for the day is what he wanted to do with his life was pour concrete in his ass. Do you think he was going to get a mold of his butt or something? Because that's not what happened. Oh, I mean, he sort of did. They had to surgically remove it, but you know, whatever. I mean, if if you wanted to get a mold of your butt, I don't think that's the best choice you could have made. There are other I, ways to go about I, it. I feel like silicone might have been a better option. Maybe one, like maybe I don't know how you, I don't know how you would do that. Well, there are people who make molds of inside of your body parts, but I just don't know how somebody woke up one day and said, "I want to see what the inside of my ass is like," and so I'm going to lady holder. That's I'm just the outside of somebody's butt, not the inside. No, but they just with porn stars all the time, right? Like they'll. I watched a special once on HBO or was it Showtime? You know, they used to have that real sex show. Uh-huh. And there yeah. was this um, where porn stars actually, um, like there was one who endorsed a, uh, a vagina that a man could buy and it was hers. They modeled her actual vagina. Uh-huh. And they did a, they did a, I saw that episode. They did a, they said, they, they, I mean, they got her, she's like on the table in the stirrups and they're, they're taking a mold of her vagina. So it can be done. I just think that that's a more appropriate path to. <laughs> if you must have. <laughs> if you must have a mold of, of your place. nethers. <laughs> Seek professional help to, to, get, to get that done. Just concrete is not a solution. Unless you really want that really expensive surgery where they cut you very very open no you're not why that is the biggest lie i've ever seen in the chat room and that is saying something anyway so now that we've gone we'll wrap up the up the butt tangent and um but i think you called it earlier just don't put anything in your butt without an extraction plan (laughs) that's the extraction plan is very important in your body without an extraction plan let's just not limit it yeah.
I agree with you with the whole chat room and the sin bin. Yeah. <sighs> okay. But it would be too much work. It would be. It'd be a lot. Because then I have to undo it. And that's just. Oh. I don't, mind the, I don't mind the work doing it, but eventually I get tired of all that red and I want to undo it. Um, <coughs> right? Okay. So I can't expire. Like temporary. Huh? I can't expire. Like it's just a temporary. I think you can have temporary roles, actually. Oh. Um, but I, they're done with, I think they're done with the, the robot. But anyway. Mm. Um, but then people, you put, then you, people could self put themselves in the sin bin and these bitches would all do it. <laughs> just ruin our sin bin with their Every, fear of missing er, out everybody would go there yeah, that's right you guys would live there um, so we got down those things up the ass tangent because we're talking about centaur centaur AUs I mean if you want to do a centaur AU please do not let our incredulity turn you off but you know safe play safe <laughs> write safe and and remember that fifteen inches doesn't fit in a nine inch space. <laughs> so much of this has been hard to say with a straight face. It's, it's like you think I have a straight face right now. Don't resist the not fit. No. But I will say one thing about not fit is if you're going to write an AU where your shifters, canine shifters, have a knot. Okay. And you have feline shifters as well. It will logically follow that there will be barbs. And you need to think about that. Think it through carefully. Because where a knot might sound fun, if you like a lot of stretch, or it sounds like it would be appealing to read, barbs are nobody's friend. There are, yeah, there are actual shifter romances, pro, pro, pro work that have barbs. Um, the thing is, is that I don't think that's evolutionarily something that would be, because while a female feline, the only way that a male shifter with barbs could mate would be with another, would be, would be with a female shifter of the same species, because otherwise, well, he would kill them. Yeah. Well, as somebody said that um, Mary Jane says that um, you know the spelling of your name, Mary Jane. You have to know what I'm thinking about. That's a very different pun on the ha the happy that you get. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's very cute. It's very cute. Um, so Mary Jane says that um, in their mind, the barbs would be like little bumps of recessive glands that no longer grew. And you could do that. You could have an evolutionary thing, but you need to think it through. <gasps> oh. Oh, oh God! God. Twy! Oh, girl! Oh, what? oh no, no, no! What have you done? I've got my eyes covered. Is it gone? I deleted it. Okay. <laughs> you exceeded my boundaries. <laughs> I didn't even know I had that boundary. I, I'm adding it to the list. <laughs> well, what was that? Yeah, I just don't know what that was. I'm going to start a shrew. Like, it's the only people that are going to care is if they have one. So here's hoping that none of you have a shrew. Because you don't well, need that in your head. Shrew? What's a shrew? It's a little, it's a little rodent looking thing. It resembles a mouse. But it, I, I mean, I don't think it's actually a rodent, but it looks rodent-y. 
Oh, well, that's actually kind of cute. Well, it's not cute anymore. Not now that we know it's... Mm-mm. It's cute with fur on. It, it, but, I mean, look at what it's got resting on that guy's finger. <laughs> okay. I, we can't do... I can't do appalling genitalia night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just... just Think through your <laughs> time. This think through your world building. Think through your world building. Um, I have to step away for a second. When I get back, maybe we should do like a little like mini plot where we pick a contemporary fandom and we 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 AU it with okay something as an example. Be right back. I feel like I don't. I didn't even know the shrew existed, and 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 now I'm. I thought like my life has been ruined. Just saying. Evolutionarily speaking, a male shifter. Um, now, a lot of times these books are uh, where it's you know they seek out human females to to mate with on purpose. The thing is, is if a human female wasn't built to handle a barbed penis and were not, it would be extremely dangerous. And evolutionarily speaking. I don't think it would be a trait that would survive because if he, if a male shifter is basically just, I mean, there's no recovering from that. I mean, there's no children being born from that. So I don't see how that's a thing from what a barbed penis, because I think the evolution would get rid of it. Yeah. If, um, if, 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 even if human shifters ever had it, Whereas a knot doesn't even have to be big enough to actually lock two people together. Yeah. And the the function of the knot is to keep semen into the orifice that the penis is in. Or in fanfic, the function is just for people who have an intense stretch kink. You know, right. Whatever. But like I said, it, the knot doesn't have to be big enough to lock them together. And I don't see a knot particularly being a like a a feature in a shifter that evolution would get rid of because it's not going to impede um, reproduction. In fact, it aids reproduction. Anyways, that's just my take on that. No snails anywhere ever. I, I wouldn't write a snail shifter. Would you? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to write a shifter that had such an intense vulnerability to salt. Uh, here's my thing, actually. I, I'm a romance writer. I like things to be sexy. Uh, there is nothing sexy to me about an insect shifter or, uh, or a snail shifter or a bear shifter or a hedgehog shifter or a lizard shifter. It's just not sexy. I can deal with bear kind of maybe in certain circumstances but it, it depends on you gotta decide how much of the animal trait you're gonna bring on because as you pointed out in another podcast bears don't smell good so there but but a, and a, um, and a bear is fine but a bear shift doesn't necessarily have to smell like a bear any more than a wolf shifter has to smell like a wet you know wet dog if it's caught out in the rain so um you have to decide how much of the animal trait it it keeps it, or it, it comes with. So, um, but I'm ruined for bears because I 
once got very very close to a bear at a zoo i mean they were like right there and i could the the smell gagged me it was i i could not i could not it was overwhelmingly disgusting so i'm ruined for that i will never find that particular idea hot no, right it's just not hot a man who would never criticize weight gain and was, and was lethargic for five months out of the year i could deal with that personality wise not bad but it it really is you do have to, have to decide you know what you want your shifter world to look like how do they behave you know do different types of shifters behave differently do they have different kinds of community groups do they have a different hierarchy um and that's something some of that was discussed in the um other uh shifter mm -hmm. podcast the, the little black dress podcast so that, you know that's something to consider is do your world building and then and then decide um I would, I would, that's the approach I would take is I would do the world building first and then figure out how to lay that world over the fandom of my choice. I would want to understand how my shifters came to be, how their, their social groups functioned. Um, and it, 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 it's very different depending upon whether you're talking about a shifters are known versus a shift, secret shifters. So, but I would definitely start with, with, hmm. Design is not the right word. Building your shifter. Um, you want to create a structure that you can stand on. Um, and have a really solid foundation. So that you don't have to ask yourself questions later when you're writing. Like, you know, what would my characters do in this situation? What would be the social norm in this situation? You know, who is going to deal with this particular problem? If your werewolves and if your shifters are known, do they have their own policing situation? Uh, how does do that you, work? Yeah, do they have complete integration? I mean, there's actually there's a werewolf shifter AU in NCIS, and I cannot remember what it's called, and I can't remember who wrote it. But it is basically instead of um, instead of them doing. It's the same basic team dynamic, but instead of them working for the Navy, they work for shifters, right? They they are this, I can't remember what the name of the team was. It was some other something criminal investigative service, you know. Um, LCIS, maybe? I think, actually, I think there's actually a couple of these stories. There's more, because I'm, I'm definitely kind of remembering two different plots in my head. So there's probably more than one where Gibbs' team is a um, supernatural police force basically and so all of their cases are um and that actually that's actually pretty easy for the audience to kind of deal with because and one of the reasons why i think that is an easy way for them to suspend their disbelief is where they similar dynamic but in a different police force is because the audience is not going to assume that they've had all the same cases and so th i think the audience will kind of naturally just kind of wait for the author to introduce the elements of the of the characters as opposed to if you have a secret kind of werewolf thing and they're still at ncis the audience is left to wonder well, which of the events these events happened and how did they play out differently did they play out differently so in some ways that was actually it's it's not a bad trick to do that to have the similar or parallel agency um but it is also 
kind of a little bit hand wavy too at the same time to just say that all of these characters are you know they're all you know shifters of some sort and yet they all basically walk the same path in life which is a hand wave i mean there's no no ripple exploration of what their lives how their lives should have been different if if they are raised in completely different circumstances so on the one hand, it, it helps the audience suspend their disbelief. On the other hand, it is very hand wavy. And also it's kind of disingenuous to your characters. It is. It's not it's not good character work. But it it doesn't mean that necessarily I mean you still might wind up with an entertaining story. And sometimes doing a big AU can be overwhelming. So maybe you've done a lot of work on the world and you've done a lot of work on the the lycanthropy aspect of the whole thing. Um and you want to kind of hand wave away um, the ripples of that. I mean, only you can decide what's the right approach for you that will help you get through the story. And I know a lot of you um, who pants don't think that these thought these these exercises really apply to you. But even even having some bit of mental preparedness going into the challenge isn't going to hurt anything, right? Right. And honestly, I, I don't think doing world building is the same thing as plotting because they really are completely different things. Um, and I actually worry a little bit. I mean, this is just, I, I worry when I hear somebody that just wants to pants their world building too. I, I worry in the sense of like that they're going to get stuck and frustrated. And, you know, I want to see people succeed at their writing challenges as opposed to get frustrated and feel like they have to give up. Uh, Ellie found that story. It is called the LCIS universe. But I do think there's another one. Um, Corsa. Um, there are two, there are basically two kinds of writers. There are plotters and there are pantsers. Uh, and sometimes there's plotsers, but that's the different. Just plotters and pantsers. Um, pantsers are people who sit down to write, who have no idea what they're going to write about until they sit down. Like, they fly by the seat of their pants. Or even if they have a general idea what they're going to write about, they haven't figured out the nuance and the details of it. And a plotter kind of pre-writes. They write out their events or figure out all their events in advance in their head before they sit down to write. Um, Jillian and I are both plotters. Um, Lady Holder is a pantser. Sometimes she's a plotzer. Whereas she, sometimes she um, belts her pants and keeps them on. <laughs> <laughs> she says she's a pantser sometimes she does Some, I'll, I'll grant you so there have been times when I've seen her sit down at the start of a challenge having no real idea what she's going to write but sometimes on the other hand we'll be talking and she'll give the broad strokes of like 15 plot points and then execute to that and then still tell you that she pantsed it like yeah <laughs> so sometimes she's a plotzer She's a little yeah. hybrid of both. But there are people who come into the challenge for Rough Trade who only have a title because I made them have one. Yeah, they, they're winging it, Corsa. Um, and there, yeah, and there are some people who find the stress of having to pick a fandom five, you know, 15 days in advance really stressful because that's not the way they work. And I acknowledge that. But on the other side of that, I need to be able to organize the site. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is merely that is purely site mechanics. That is not me picking on you. It is me 
I have to be able to set up your categories and your tags before the damn thing starts so that your posts will be all on your page. It's literally logistics. I don't I don't hate the beginning, middle, and end. Um you know what? I am proud of you. If you're a pantser and you go in knowing what your end's gonna be, I am super proud. Yeah. And Rogue got to the end. Rogue did Quantum Bang last year. Because there are people who sit down and don't even know wh if their end will ever happen. They honestly they don't know their middle. They've got, usually what I find is they've got one pivotal thing that they're writing their story around. And when they get to that thing, when they've written to that point, they're lost. They have no idea what comes next. And usually that event is something in the rising action. It's just my, I've, and I've, I've worked with a lot of pantsers over the years. So I, you know, it's like, okay, so you've got this one scene that you really want to hinge this whole story off of. And then they get there and they don't know how to move past it. So, um, and, and there are some things that have nothing to do with plotting or very little to do with plotting that, that pantsers could do to make things easier on themselves. But some people are just very deeply invested in that style of writing. And that's fine. If that's the only way you can write, then, then, do that. But then there are people who also think it's romantic and purely yeah. creative and they don't and I've actually had someone tell me because I was a plotter that I wasn't nearly as creative as she was. I the just laughed I'm in her making. face. Like, I just whatever. laughed in her face but I did make sure to send her an autographed copy of my first published book because I'm that kind of fucking petty. I mean the thing is if there have been times when I've sat down with a vague starting point in mind. Like I sat down, I was going to write something, make some notes about something. And like 20 K later, I was like, Oh, I just pants 20 K at the start of a story that has happened. Yeah. And it's, but I've also had that same experience of it just flowing when I've plotted too. it, it getting really in the groove of a story to me, the experience isn't actually any different. That flow, when I've planned in advance or when an idea just kind of hit me and I sat down to make some notes and I wound up writing instead. But, it, some, but if I get there, sometimes I have to stop and plot. Oh, absolutely. I can't. I mean, I can't. I'm never going to get to the finish if I don't stop and plot. Because otherwise I'm going to be subjected to, I'm going to, I'm going to have 300 words. I'm going to have 300,000 words and not an end. And there's no end in sight. So I have to have structure. Yeah, because you'll well, it's easy to end then, especially. I actually think the sometimes the creativity can really backfire on you when you end then because you come up with ideas as you write and you want to put them in. I mean, for me, it's a lot like shiny object syndrome. Um, it's like, oh, I could put this and I could do this and I could do this. And even if I've plotted, sometimes there's these alluring things that I think of. I go, oh, I could do this. And I'm like, that's like a 20K subplot. I just can't go down that path. Um, and I make a note of it and find some other story that it fits in. Um, but when it comes to working on an AU, whether it's a Sentinel AU, um, and a Sentinel AU, you have the same issues, right? Whether you're doing the shifter thing in November, you're doing the Sentinel thing, you have to design your world. You have to figure out governance. You have to figure out if it is a secret, how do they keep it secret? If um, do they have contact with one another? Are they aware of each other? Is there some sort of super secret council that's run by a giant dragon that enforces it? it? I mean, we've got to think these things through. And if there is, we all want to meet the giant dragon. You yes, cannot do say that the whole damn shifter universe that you've just written is led by a giant fucking dragon and not introduce the giant fucking dragon. We need the giant dragon. That's This is, I mean, you can't, yeah. 
You can't that a giant dragon can never be a red herring. These are the rules that we have just made up. Um, <laughs> but it also has that. Also has your uh, you. Sometimes you add something to your to your work because it amuses you or because um, you love the idea of it, but you never follow through with it. So you know, we'll just call it the giant dragon. But if you're going to introduce something like that to your reader, your your reader is going to want to meet the damn giant dragon. We're going to need some see some giant dragon. Yeah, because there's some there's some things you can't just put out there and then not do anything with. It's it leaves it leaves the reader feeling like the story is incomplete, and that's actually the problem with it. Is the reader is left with this kind of, and you've you you may not have been able to like you may not have articulated it this way. You ever read a story where you get to the end and like there was the climax and there was the falling action, there's the denouement, and you're still sitting there going, "Why do I feel so unsatisfied?" And it's because of the giant dragon or the the time travel thing that never went anywhere or the really, you know, fascinating concept about Sentinels and Guides that was absolutely never explored. Um, and you're sitting there going, but, but what about, but what about, and that's not the kind of loose end you want where the reader is left feeling like the story is not complete. Having a giant dragon in a story is immediately a good start, Drift. I mean, it would kind of like if be if you got all the way to the end of the fucking hobbit and there was no giant dragon <laughs> unless it was a little tiny dragon because that cartoon is hysterical like the funniest thing i've ever seen he's trying to climb the wall yeah i um i actually bought a print from the artist of that because i thought it was so funny this is adorable i mean just imagine they all get up to the damn mountain and there's no dragon and you're all like, well, where's the dragon? Where's the dragon? I have a plot bunny for Star Wars. Um, and I don't know where it came from. But I'm willing to blame Margaret. And this is what it is. So, like, yeah, you. Um, so, what if when Padme was giving birth... Now, I actually had this theory that the reason that Vader survived and Padme died is that he basically sapped her of life to live. Probably not on purpose. Um, but what if, like, what if Obi-Wan recognized that she had something going on there and he snapped that connection between them and he kept her alive? Like, what if Padme lived and Vader died? Yeah. Well, whether Anakin was doing it on purpose or whether Palpatine was doing it for him. Um, so what if Luke and Leia are actually raised by Padme and Obi-Wan Kenobi. On Naboo? Probably not Naboo. Because I think that they would know that the Palpatine would, would probably come for the twins. He certainly knew about them. I don't know where. I mean, it, just, it just kind of struck me that that would be really interesting. Because I actually did never understood why, um, out of all the people that she got a crush on during that first movie, it was the 10-year-old and not the hot Padawan. Right? <laughs> Am I the only one? No, I'm not no. the only one. We're all like, but dude, did you not see Obi-Wan? <laughs> it was written by a man, yeah. But so, yeah, I just think it would be interesting. Anyway, and I'll blame Margaret. I don't know why. Sometimes she, she said in chat, maybe. I don't know. I'm fine with blaming Margaret. She's been talking about Star Wars a lot. Well, she has. <laughs> Margaret, I don't. <laughs> I can't. 
um, I don't even. And you struck Jilly speechless, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm. I've re- been really into the Mandalorian, though. I'm not particularly interested in Star Wars in, in general. Um, I've read a few prequel era fanfic, but it doesn't really float my boat. But I find the idea of the Padme thing interesting. But I really am digging the Mandalorian, though. I love the Mandalorian. It's it's awesome. Um. Okay, so let's let's do our thing. Let's pick a contemporary fandom and, and shifter it up. We're gonna pick a fic. Yeah, and let's talk about how to shift or something. We're gonna make a shifter you out of a contemporary fandom. It's because we talked we talked quite a bit at the beginning about making a um, shifter AU out of um, out of a fantasy fandom, basically out of a paranormal or supernatural kind of fandom. Um, and I want to say again that you guys can absolutely 100% do Teen Wolf or Supernatural, but if you really want to challenge yourself going into this to this um, nano, you you can't just sit on canon. Right, it's supposed to be a shifter AU, not not just a shifter fandom. So, but we is it's a different approach because, like, um, you know, the Teen Wolf one that I plotted is a lot about you know magic and the and the 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 shifter world and how they interact and how what the lines are between how you know the between the human world and the shifter world and it is a it is a shifters are known universe um but there's also a big magic component and how that plays in um and it's not set in beacon hills and it it is using some obviously using some of the characters but i'm not trying to use any canon events because canon doesn't exist how could it yeah, it couldn't. It couldn't. But some people are so married to the canon that just saying yes, you can write Team Wolf for the challenge, and it would be, and it would meet the burden, would be untrue. Right. And my layer in that one would be necks and throats because whatever. You got to think about that. that I know. You got to think about that. <laughs> I mean, the idea that softcore porn to, to to shifters is a bared throat i don't i can't tell you why that just works for me but i was like um yeah I, I, what the fuck ever man um <laughs> so that was gonna be my layer me, you know it reminds me of a picture i saw of the mandalorian and um it was it was on twitter oh jesus <laughs> i know which one you're talking about and she said i don't i, I don't I don't mean to be a Victorian about this, but I'm seeing Mando's wrist. (laughs) His wrist was exposed. How dare you? Cover that up. It it was it was like seeing somebody's ankle, you know? It was was scandalous. (gasps) I know. If you've never watched The Mandalorian, the main character of The Mandalorian is in fact a Mandalorian. And um, one of the principles of the, of the Mandalorian culture is that they shroud their body in, uh, in, in armor. And so there is a scene in The Mandalorian in the first episode where he's using a pair of binoculars slash field glasses, whatever you want to call them. And he's, he's got them up. And he's and I don't know why he's actually using these when he's wearing a fucking helmet. You think that'd be built in? I'm just saying. Right. And John, it is. In most, in most scenes, it is built in. But maybe he needed that for more. Like maybe he needed he, more distance. Maybe more distance. And there's a little space between his sleeve and his glove where you can see the skin of his wrist. And you know it's just scandalous. 
<laughs> yeah, so necks and throats. It actually, I believe, as far as I know, it was actually started by an artist who created a magazine cover of Styles with his head tipped back. As you know, this is this is what where this is what werewolves like to look at. You know, is and I've seen their necks and throat stories where werewolves are known. Um, and this, you know, and then there are also necks and throat stories where werewolves are not known. And right. So, so people don't get what, you know, humans know necks and throats exist, but they don't get why, you know, the, all these pictures of, you know, young men and women with their throats bared is appealing, right? Because it's werewolves and shifters that are buying it. Yeah. But there are porn magazines dedicated to feet, so it wouldn't stand out. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't at all. <laughs> um, but I just, I don't know, it just, it, 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 and there's, there's, I, I, there are quite a few necks and throat stories, but um, I haven't read them all because some of them have, are thematically, you know, don't work for me, but it's, it's an interesting AU um, that basically like an artist created a magazine cover and somebody ran with the idea and wrote the first story and then they kind of, there were a bunch of them. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so that was going to be my layer, uh, but certainly not the extent of the world building, um, because um, could somebody get the tag to necks and throats off of A Ao3? Because it actually is an index tag on Ao3. But yeah, yeah. it it it's interesting AU, um, and I actually am able to read pairings in necks and throats that I wouldn't like normally read because. But also um, check your tags. Check your tags. Do you check the tags carefully? Um, Read all the tags, because a lot of times people on AO3 will skip the warning section entirely and put things like rape and incest in the tags. So always read the tags, even even if there's 500. And honestly, if there are 500 tags, don't even bother fucking reading them. <laughs> Just don't even read the whole damn story. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand 500 fucking tags. Although it is a Teen Wolf thing, it's it's like a rite of passage. Um, thank you, Starlight and AJ, for getting that uh, that for me. Um, and you can also read, and Chris, you can also read about necks and throats and how it got started on fan lore. Um, but it's an interesting, I find it to be an interesting AU premise, especially in a, um, especially in a um, Werewolves Are Known universe, because it it then creates also, it's an alternate setting AU as well as Werewolves Are Known, which is the setting of a magazine. And then what you do with that yeah, and there also are there are also some variants of necks and throats where um, it actually is like hardcore porn, like movies and stuff. So um. the link that Chris put up worked for me. For those of you who are getting errors, hmm. Hmm. yeah, I was I was fine on uh, Chris's link too. Yeah, and Lady Holder got the next and throw, and that's the original magazine art, the magazine cover that somebody created, um, for necks and throats. I am in fact logged into Ao3. I'm not sure if that makes a difference. But if you go to the fan lore link that Lady Holder just provided, there is a link there to the tag on Ao3, which might work better for you. I love on the magazine cover it says "Get ready to roll over." Yeah, I'm not mad at it. And clearly this is a werewolves are known cover because it says right there's 25 sexiest wolves in something, something. I can't actually read that. It's too tiny. Let's see. 25 sexiest wolves in pop culture. I got new glasses. Um, when betas get naughty is above it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that pun. That's so great. Let's see. Being human in a wolf pack. 
it's probably the article about Styles. Let's see. The boy who runs with wolves, Styles Stilinski. Get ready to roll over. Alpha's in heat. Something to talk. Here, I found oh. a bigger I found a bigger version of that image. So that I can actually read it. <laughs> real alphas, real heat, real talk. Okay. Being it's human great. in a wolf pack. It's great. And somebody up above had linked, had put in the cover um, that somebody did with Chris Argent on the cover. It was a very pretty cover. Necks and Throats Hunter Edition. Hate to love. 20 ways to please your local hunter. Conflict resolution strategies. <laughs> Following the code. Kink negotiations with those you don't trust. And 10 things Chris looks for in an alpha. Exclusive. Chris Argent spreads for Peter, Peter Hale photography. No pun intended. I think pretty much all the puns intended. That's great, actually. Um, the, the whole concept is great. Yeah, so that was going to be my layer. I mean, I, there's a lot more world. Oh, look, than... there's the Mandalorian. Not to sound like a repressed Victorian maiden, but I just noticed that in episode one, you can see Mando's bare wrist. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, my, la my layer is going to be this other AU type, which is the magazine setting. And then I was going to do a bunch of, I have a bunch of world building I did put together about the origins of... Um, Lycanthropy doesn't really fit for multiple types of shifters, but I don't have any other words. So the origins of lycanthropy and um, the magical world and how those things interact. And then the, the plot was around um, something that puts Styles undercover at the magazine. He's not actually like, I think often he's like a college student who models as a typical plot line for Necks and Throats, but I was going to do something different where he comes in undercover um, trying to do an investigation. So. Um, Is he going to be FBI? Didn't Styles join the FBI in canon? He was doing an internship with the FBI. I don't know what he did, if that, how far that went. Um, he's not with the FBI in this. They, they, uh, he's, um, he's acting in my story. He'd be acting on behalf of the Magical Council to try to awesome. figure out, to try to figure out um, potentially some criminal activity happening in the. Um, werewolf or the lycanthrope publishing world and uh well see this speaks to world building that she's obviously done in the past that she's bringing into her new work with the magical council and the bigger a bigger world in play at teen wolf that you really need to bring to the table when you're going to ride an au like this personally it's my personal opinion it's her opinion. So, but he comes. <laughs> no, he he goes undercover. Actually, as a makeup artist, and um, eventually, I will get him behind in front of the camera because, of course, I got to go there. Um, so yeah, that that that's the plot for that one, um, and that's probably the easier one for me to execute, actually. But just because I'm comfortable with big werewolf world building in a fantasy fandom. You know, in a, in a or paranormal fandom, it's not as comfortable to throw werewolves on top of a contemporary fandom, particularly a procedural, especially one I've never written in before. So even though I plotted this other one for nine one one, so I'm actually waiting to sign up, probably to the last day, because I am trying to write a couple of shorts in nine one one to see my my comfort level with the fandom. I think it's important. That's a really great exercise to do. Um, with a new fandom. I mean, do you gotta get comfortable? 
I I've written a couple of MCU shorts before I wrote Unleash Your Demons. Um, I'm not sure honestly how helpful it was considering where I went with Unleash Your Demons. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe it helped me define my Tony voice. Yeah, I think so. But I think the thing that um, I think the thing you've done in your writing that it prepared you for Unleash Your Demons was you've done time travel epics before, so that allowed you to move into a fandom that was. You know, to do a big, you know, a big time travel AU with, in a setting, especially in a pairing, you, you know, historically hadn't liked much. So. No, no. So I think if you didn't have that level of comfort with time travel, it would have been a lot harder. So I think you have to have some comfort level with something that you're doing. And I don't, I mean, werewolves purely on top of a contemporary fandom is not something I've written. I mean, yes, I did do the one. Um, Hawaii Five O NCIS thing, but that was a whole that was whole whole new world challenge. So there was no canon circumstances, and it was a werewolf setting. So that was completely different thing. But so to take a contemporary fandom and just layer where you know lycanthropy on top of it, and then and in a fandom I don't know and haven't written in. I, mean, I know the fandom relatively well at this point, but I haven't. Um, I haven't you know I haven't written anything, so that's not a level of comfort that I have. I don't have any comfort going into to, to Nana with that. So, um, and I honestly haven't done the, you know, werewolves on top of a contemporary fandom. Um, well, what I would also say is that this year has been a dumpster fire. It has been. Um, it's been one thing after another. Um, and it's perfectly okay coming into November. If you don't take risk, if you just settle down somewhere where you're comfortable and it makes you happy and you write something that makes you happy and just and you can just relax into it that is perfectly okay and if you get into it and you recognize halfway through that you really haven't met the challenge that happens that's what who, happens some people who normally shoot for 50 or 75 or 100k might be turning in might be signing up to do 25k this year i mean it's just this is one of the reasons why kira put the you know the shifter thing up as an option was because a lot of people are struggling with sentinel right now um and like we're just struggling in general yeah in, in general it's just and it's trying to you know give people other options um so I, yeah i completely agree you gotta um, we have discussed time travel a whole bunch on the podcast, Corsa. If if that was your question, I mean, like dozens of times, we've done big plot drifts on them. Um, that's really cool, now. <laughs> yeah, an app. Oh, oh, okay. No, no, we we weren't discussing an actual time travel thing. We were just talking about the when I wrote Unleash Your Demons, it was a time travel story. Yeah, and that and that Kira had a a foundation in writing time travel already. Um, and it would you be know, it's my jam, but a lot of people I think fall apart on time travel, um, and they'll have like four or five works in progress for time travel that they've never finished um, because of ripple management. Yeah, and that's one of my bigger like one of my best skills is is, is ripple management because of my anxiety. So, um, so when she, you know, approaching a new fandom, it's like when I approach a new fandom, I usually start small. I wouldn't, I wouldn't start, I was, or I start with something that I have comfort in, 
you know, tropes that I'm familiar with or world building that I'm comfortable with um, rather than trying to give myself 50 new things at once. So I didn't approach writing a big story in MCU for the first time and writing my first time travel story and writing a new pairing, especially one I don't normally read. That would be a big ask for a for, for first story. But even though MCU and the pairing were relatively new in some ways for Kira, I mean, and she had done a little, some shorts for MCU, um, the, um, the time travel element which is what would throw a lot of people um, wasn't a problem for her. Um, I have actually never read any other Tony Loki stories that I can think of. I don't think you have either. I mean, if I've read them, I've already forgot them, which, you know, I have fibro. So that's, <laughs> I think I've only read, I don't know what I ate yesterday. I think I've only read one, one other than yours. Cause it's a pairing that, it has a lot of potential issues. So, yeah. um, and there's just a lot of writers I trust, you know, to, to, to go there. Um, anyway. Oh, I have to share this. I have to share that. My mother sent me this to me, this to me, which I consider to be emblematic of 2020. And it's, it, it's just an image. that says, well, tomorrow fucking sucked. Um, and that's been this year. And so I'm, when I, I'm, pl- when I'm planning Nano this year, I'm sort of taking it with that, that thought in mind. <laughs> Um, so when it comes to what you're doing for Nana, when it comes to your shifter thing is I always, I mean, certainly push your, it's always good to push your craft, but think about, look at where you are, um, how you're feeling, what's, what's working or not working for you. Um, and, and, and be kind to yourself in November. Be, be, be nurturing. Take self-care is very important right now. So Chris asked about plot points and how many plot points would equal 50k. And there is no concrete answer to that. Um, no, there really isn't. <laughs> because one of my plot points could be anywhere from one sentence to ten thousand words. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. No. Yeah, because you know, like like literally the last plot point in small magic is the battle of the five armies. Oh, yeah. But the thing is one of the part of the issue with answering the question is that um, the definition of plot point is a little bit squiffy because it is ambiguous because some people are diehard that there are either five or seven plot points in a novel, regardless of length. Um, other people don't look at plot points quite so rigidly. It's like all of the key events that have to happen. And in 50K, in a in a typical novel, depending upon how broadly your your broad your brushstrokes are, um, if you're a really micro plotter, like you you put your events at a very micro level, you might be looking at a few hundred words per event. If you plot with broader brushstrokes, you might be looking more like two or three thousand words per event. So, it's one of those things as you get to, you kind of figure it out as you figure out how you plot and um, the granularity of it. So, when we use the term plot point, we're really referring to the, the the plot events as opposed to like the literal literary structure of a plot point. 
Also, what I would say, you need to know your own writing. Like, you could look at, say, when we've talked before about how, okay, um, if your plot points are uh, meet, greet, and fuck, yeah, the, the, those are all three events. So, meet, I don't know, five, six hundred words. Greet, I guess it depends on if there's kink negotiation or not. <laughs> <laughs> because if there's kink negotiation, I'm going to be between 1,500 words and maybe 2,000, depending on whether or not they know each other already. You know, so, but if they're strangers, hmm. But then sex. It depends on what kind of sex. Because if it's like regular vanilla sex, I don't know, maybe 1,200 words. But if it's like BDSM and there's equipment involved, well, four or 5,000 words depends. You know, it just depends. Is there going to be a cross? Is there going to be a cane? Is there a sex swing? What's happening in here? Is, is there some blowjobs happening? If Chris is involved, probably. You know, so, and then, you know, here you go. My my meet, greet, and fuck is now 7K-ish. If there's no BDSM. Yeah. And, and, and then if I add a chorus scene to the end, it's 25,000 words. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when it, like, in Harry Potter, um, Kira, you average about a thousand words per plot point, right? Roughly. So, and then in Unleash Your Demons, it was about the same, wasn't it? Or was it a little less? Let me do a purely unscientific study here. And let's look at um, let's look at the absence of war. My <clears throat> the absence of war, zero draft. If it ever decides it wants to open we don't have anything else to do, Word. You just take your sweet time. So, okay. So, for the absence of war, my zero draft document was 5,493 words, and I had 90 plot points. And how many, how many, how many words was the story? I'm going to actually have to go to the Quantum Bank to check, because I have it put into three parts for posting. And I don't actually have a single... That's ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. Um, and all the world, I think it was around 120 ish ish. You're at 117 for absence of war. So yeah, you're pretty close. So you're you're a little over a thousand, probably about 1,200 words per plot point. I think you came out a little less than that for MCU, but I mean, pretty consistently, you're within 800 to 1,500 words per plot point with the way you plot. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I do a different style of plotting than Kira does. Because um, my plot will have event, ramifications, characterization, GMC. Um, I mix it all in there together. Yeah, and what I do is I write down everything that has to happen in my story. And then my plot points are the critical path. Which, that style of, for me, that style of um, um, plotting came out of my project management background. I mean, there's just... It's just the kind of the way I think about the structure of something is what is the critical path. And then all the other events, the events that are not in the critical path, just go on the list. So um, I also do event-based plotting. Um, I would say that I probably have run about, based upon the events in the critical path, I would guess that I run about 2,000 words per event. Of the ones that, like I said, that are in the critical path, not all the other events, because the other events happen, you know, along the way. I pick them up as I go. Um, Lady Holder's plot 
stuff that she shared for restoration just now um, is very structurally driven. So what's going to happen in the first part? What's going to happen in the second part? What's going to happen in the third part? So that's very linear plotting. Um, and it looks like you were hitting about... She had 10 parts. About 5,000 words per plot per, per, per part. And if you wanted to do a very simple plot, like if you wanted to say, okay, I'm going to write 50K, um, which, you know, if you did roughly 5K chapters, that's 10 parts. If you wanted to do a simple, a simple plot, we just, just write down a single sentence about what's going to happen in each chapter. Then you have a progression that you can follow, but it gives you a looseness that you can work with if plotting is um, too restrictive for you. Um, I just found a link to the seven plot point structure. I can share this if this, this is not the way I plot. So this doesn't do anything for me, but, um, if I do find the seven point structure makes more sense to me, if I were to use one, then in terms of the way I think it makes more sense than just beginning, middle and end. Three point structure doesn't, doesn't work for me at all. Um, but I actually, in some ways, when I'm plotting, I do think in in some of these terms. I do think about the inciting event. I think about the hook. I think about um, the climax. I think about the resolution. Um, but where it talks about first, second, and third plot point, I have I I, I do it way more than that. So um, I am actually actually more of a beginning, middle, and end kind of plotter. And once I know, like, thematically where and for me it's my characters like where are my characters where do my characters start what's their journey and where do they end up that for me that's the beginning the middle and the end and so but that's that's what works for me and it's really important for you to figure out what works for you yeah and there's also a five point plot structure um she's and beginning. That, that's inciting incident the lock-in, whatever they call that, first culmination, main culmination, final act twist, and, you know, so that, you know, that... That actually it, sounds like really bad sex. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> um, it, it all just, you know, and it, it always, it, it's always good to look at other models of how other people do these kinds of things if you're trying to plot. Um, but the more you do where you plot something and then you look at your word count at the end, it, it gives you a feel of like, the more you do that, the more you'll be able to get a feel for how long your story is going to be based upon your plotting. Um, and, it, you know, if you're somebody who writes a lot of sex and you know, you know, you you know how many words a blowjob is going to take. You know how many words uh, a sex scene is going to take. You know how many, you know, is it a quick fuck against a door or is there a lot of intimacy? There's there's a big word count difference between those two. Um, and so, you know, you learn that about yourself. I mean, I usually, I can't think of the last time I wrote a sex scene that I could, well, I actually can't think, but it's rare the sex scene comes in over a thousand words for me, rare. So there, I, there was a challenge way in the past where we asked participants on Rough Trade to post a basic plot. And I remember going through and reading all these when I was as I was approving the project files. And I'll be like, well, I couldn't write that anything less than 200 K. I know. <laughs> they think that's 50 K. <laughs> they think that's 25. <laughs> Your first 10 plot points are a whole book. 
did you know? <laughs> but the thing is, and that's based upon that's based upon how I would approach that story. Right. And sometimes I go to see I start seeing they approach a story completely different. So it, you know they could they could take something that would take me two hundred k, and they can turn it in in fifty, and that's great because everybody's different in how in their approach to these kinds of things. Well, but I, what I would say, Chris, is not don't be afraid of it. No fear. Fear is the mind killer. Um, another fandom that has been helped by the presence of Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, you don't, you learn by doing. And every day, every time I write, every time I sit down to write, I have written 220,000 words since the middle of July for my quantum bang. Um, I don't know what's going to happen when it comes out of editing, right? But that's my that's my rough draft process. Um, it's exciting and it's validating, and um, I went into it with with no expectations, and um, I'm learning something about myself. I, in fact, one of the biggest things I learned was why I failed repeatedly this year in the Sentinel Challenge, and it's like. I learn things about myself in the writing process every single time I write. So whether I fail or whether I succeed, I've learned something. And when you're coming in the nano, it is this is our event. This is what we do every year. We come together as writers all over the planet to write a book. So when you're writing, there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of writers all over the planet writing with you. That's what nano is. So whether you get it right or you fuck it up, it doesn't matter. Because you know, like, like As just said, every word is a victory. But more importantly, every word is something that you are learning about yourself and your craft. And that is priceless. And that's what Rough Trade is about. That's what nano is about. And one of the most awesome things about Rough Trade is that when we're riding together, we're all riding together. And I know that when I'm riding, there is another person on Rough Trade riding with me. And that's amazing. So whether you it get is. it right or you get it wrong, that doesn't matter. No. I've flopped at every Rough Trade this year so far. Um, it's just been a rough year. and I and, fucked um, up the whole New World Challenge. Um. I fucked up July. I did okay in April. I was really not on board with what I wrote, but I read it recently and it wasn't bad. It wasn't, I'm like, why did I hate this so much in April? Yeah. Sometimes your perception of it is different <laughs> than the actual, it's like you go, wow, that was awful. And then you go back and read it and go, oh, no, it wasn't. Um, but sometimes, but I mean, that, I, actually, okay. I, actually, I actually talked to Kira, uh, I don't know if this was a little while back about how I was having a really hard time with the Sentinel this year. It just was kind of pushing my buttons and not in a good way. Um, but then we also, you know, Kira gave the out that we can do a shifter story instead. Um, but then she and I also on the phone and plotted a Sentinel story for the Mandalorian, um, which is, you know, one of my options, you know, I don't think I could get that over 25 K though. So it wouldn't be like, a, I'd be, I'd be doing, I'd be, I'd be doing nano light if I did that one. So um, because the, the question becomes is how could you make the Mandalorian more of a badass? <laughs> you make him a sentinel. <laughs> I was gonna make him a guide. <laughs> either way, either way, he'd still be more badass. Yeah. But yeah. 
Um, and so that's still on the that's still on the table because I was going to make Ezra Bridger be the the Sentinel. Um, You're welcome. That was my idea. That was Kira's idea. <laughs> You're welcome. Because I was welcome, flailing about. I was flailing about for a for a for a pairing. Um, and Kira suggested Ezra Bridger, and I was I was I wasn't set on whether the Mandalorian is going to be the Sentinel of the Guide until I. Um, um, no, no, the child is no, no, no. Is, no. Um, the child. The he doesn't poor that no. that poor sweet little thing doesn't need anything else going on in his life. No. <laughs> but, but I needed I needed yeah, I was like who who am I gonna pair? And and so once I got kind of got like locked in mentally on Ezra Bridger, I decided Ezra was gonna be the the center. And then my plot kind of came together mentally around um Din being the guide. Ezra Bridger is a character from um Star Wars is it Rebels or Clone Wars, Margaret? He's a Jedi, um, it's a rebel. and uh, he was in the rebellion, and he was he was instrumental in um, the liberation of Lothal. Uh, that's his home planet, and Ezra Bridger disappears into hyperspace via space whale in canon, which really opens up the possibilities. You can do anything with him. <laughs> and yes, yeah. I literally meant that space whale. Literally, Star Wars has space whales. It's hysterical. There are these whales in Star Wars, and they travel in hyperspace lines lanes. And one of the reasons uh, that hyperspace travel even exists in Star Wars is because of these whales, because they watch these whales moving around the galaxy and figured out how they were doing it. Now, unfortunately, in in accomplishing this, they also ended up hunting these whales because these whales became a danger in hyperspace um lanes because they don't give a shit who you are or who you think you are um if you're in their way they're gonna plow right through you up into and including a starship destroyer they don't give a shit so they're literally space whales um and they have tentacles so they might actually be giant space wheel space whale squid ish things anyways so in star wars rebels uh, during the liberation of Lothal, Ezra Bridger um, uses a space whale to take out a Star Destroyer. And both him, the bad guy, and the space whale disappear into hyperspace on the Star Destroyer. He literally unleashed the Kraken. So Ezra Bridger is lost in space right now. Um, Sabine Wren, who's a Mandalorian, and uh, somebody else, is searching for him at the end of Star Wars Rebels. But that's a couple years before the end um be before the mandalorian starts so by that time he could have been you know found discovered and we also know that he's they're they're looking to cast a human version a live action version of ezra bridger so whether he's going to appear in another star wars movie or star wars movie or a star wars show or if he's going to be in the mandalorian we don't know but they are looking to cast him so that's really exciting now my fan casting force right now for ezra is this actor name not actor i think he's a model actually name owner tuna i don't yeah, actually know how you pronounce him, he, he is beautiful let me get his picture see that is a big image oh he's beautiful space whale i'm totally on board with this casting for ezra bridger it's gorgeous um I imagine there are a whole bunch of hollow vids on space whales, but you know, this is also the fandom where it is canon 
that Palpatine went to see a ballet of Squid Lake. Do with that what you will. <laughs> Sometimes I just there I can't it's like Palpatine's a total mood killer for me in in in, in like almost any context, especially Squid Lake. Um <laughs> Star Wars is awesome. <laughs> It's so like, what? <laughs> oh, but anyways, someone definitely uh, used to yeet Palpatine into the space well. <laughs> there are actually quite a lot of people who need to be yeeted into a space whale. <laughs> but the space whales, if they encounter one in hyperspace, one of those things can plow right through a ship and not even, even notice the ship. So they're they're basically like a pest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, serious pest that could kill you. <laughs> Big giant ass pest. But the other side of it is, is hyperspace was theirs first. So how dare those fucking assholes kill those whales? Curse ascended whales. Are they sentient? I don't, I don't know. I'm sure they are. Most, sentient, most, yes, probably sapient. Uh, if they are, they might be, you know, damaging those ships out of spite. Which, you know, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I can't even. <laughs> is that, what's that thing about causation? Is not uh, uh, correlation. Is not, correlation is not causation. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's a great example of that. <laughs> but I'm. <laughs> but I'm worth exploring it. I'm, I'm, I would explore it as an option. Because anything's yeah. better than what we currently got. Yeah. <clears throat> um, which is going to make no sense to um, the radio audience, but you you don't you don't actually want to hear this. Um, so we're just going to let that one go. So let's do the thing. Okay. We need to do a little mini plot, maybe two little mini plots. One with a secret shifter, and one with sure, shifters are known. But um, let's let's end this podcast and start a new one. Okay. That way, um, it'll be easier for me to edit and upload. Okay, so, I hope this podcast was very beneficial and that you guys um, enjoyed it and that you enjoyed listening to the Space Whale conversation. Anyways, you guys have a great evening and uh, we shall catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>